when you come into a church, you're thinking, what do they talk about? And you come into a sermon like this, and we're going to be talking about ourselves. Okay? And, and that's always hard. And I know people will leave, oh, that church is all about just that church. And all they talk about is what's going on in that church and getting people involved. That's, please, if this is the only sermon you hear, please come back. Okay? We don't typically actually talk about any of this, but I think we need to today. So, so don't write us off just based on this one sermon. I guess the flip side of that, if you're like, man, I love this stuff, and you come back, you're not going to hear it again, but that's <laughs> highly unlikely. So there we go. A little bit of history to kind of give you why I feel this topic is important today. I've been here six years now, and in six years, uh, six years ago, we were averaging roughly about 60 people on a Sunday morning per service. Now, we only had one service, so that was it. We had one adult Sunday school class with about five to eight participants in it. We had one children's class where we put all the ages in one class. I don't even know how big that class was. Do you remember? A handful, maybe. Today, we are averaging and have consistently averaged, probably for the past year, about 200 people on a Sunday morning. We have typically three adult Sunday schools. Now, in the summer, we change that. But if you took the attendance of all of our adult Sunday schools and put them together, we average about 60 people in Sunday morning adult Bible study every Sunday, which I think is phenomenal. I've always felt like the the ratio of people in Sunday school compared to the ratio of worship attendees is one of the greatest marks of of the effectiveness of a church. Because we don't want to just build a huge worship service and all these people coming, but they're not digging into Scripture. So we try to really emphasize Bible study. We have about four or maybe five Sunday school classes for kids, ages birth through senior high. A lot has changed. Now, I want to be careful here because, again, people can say, wow, he's really patting himself on the back. I didn't do this. I made it very clear when I came here that we were going to focus on faithfulness. I think I've made it very clear every moment since we're going to focus on faithfulness. Whether God chooses to grow us large or grow us small, that's completely up to him. I believe numbers in a church are God's job, not ours. We focus on being faithful to Scripture. Sometimes churches that are faithful to Scripture will grow large. Sometimes churches that are faithful to Scripture will get quite small as people leave and say, this isn't what I signed up for. How it's responded to, I think, is really God's job. The reason I'm pointing these things out is that a lot has changed in six years. A lot has changed, and a lot of these changes are currently stressing, and and I don't mean causing to be stressed, but stretching our current leadership structures to their max. The number of volunteer leaders that are necessary to be involved, to minister to this number of, of people, is different than it was six years ago. For the most part, we are using the same methods in order to continue to minister to a group that's roughly three to four times the size that we had six years ago. I also think that as a church, there are a lot of opportunities that God is presenting us with that we could explore. But because we're maxed out in so many other areas, we can't. Next Sunday is a congregational meeting. At that congregational meeting, one of the things we're going to do is present you with opportunities to be involved here at the church. Areas of service that either are currently going on and nobody's filling them, or areas that we're not doing because we don't have the volunteer leadership to step up 
and fill them. And so what I want to do today is to set the stage. And I fully admit this is in service to this church to challenge you to say, hey, what might God be leading you in in this church? Because I want to present to you with some ideas that hopefully throughout the week you'll be in prayer so that next Sunday when you hear some of these things, the wheels are already turning and you're thinking, what might God be challenging me to do? Today we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and his servant leadership. He wrote over half the books in the New Testament. History records he planted somewhere around 14 churches, directly or indirectly. He traveled, get this, over 10,000 miles in his missionary journeys. Now, now, imagine going on a car trip for 10,000 miles and then take the car out of the picture. That's just amazing. Yes, some of it was by boat, but not a lot. He suffered. He was persecuted. He still got up and preached the gospel in cities where he knew it wouldn't be accepted. And even when he was thrown out of town and completely rejected, he went into the next town and did the same thing. He kept going. And I think it's easy to have this picture of the Apostle Paul as this phenomenal Lone Ranger superhero Christian. And it would be really easy for me to hold up before all of you, we all need to be like Paul. Here's the problem with that. I can't be like Paul. I can't travel 10,000 miles and go city to city. I have a family. It's also not my giftedness. And I'm guessing for many of you, it's not your giftedness as well. Now, maybe God is calling you to uproot your life, go overseas and serve as a missionary. Maybe, but maybe he's not. So how do we take this example of Paul and instead of just saying, be like Paul, say, let's look at what Paul's life points to. Open with me to Titus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. And this is one of those passages when you turn to it, I think you'll kind of scratch your head and say, huh, why are we looking at this? How does this impact my life? So let me just read it for us, verses 12 to 15 of Titus chapter 3. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, he's speaking to Titus here at the end of his letter, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is a very typical end of a book for Paul. He's sort of throwing out some personal greetings and recommendations and instructions for ministry. But I want to mine this if I could, because I was looking throughout the New Testament, there's numerous passages like this where Paul talks about the people he worked with. And that's really the first thing that I want us to learn from Paul. Paul wasn't a Lone Ranger Christian, ever. If you skim through the book of Acts, if you read quickly through the New Testament, it's easy to get this superhero mentality about Paul. Wow, look what this one guy was able to do. Or if you're really spiritual, look at what God was able to do with this one guy. But when you dig into the text of Acts, these little names that some of them never come up again in Scripture. 
pop up constantly. Paul recommending this person, sending this person ahead, leaving them in a city that just tried to kill him, and he's moving on, but he's leaving so-and-so behind to continue the work. Lucky so-and-so. And he's constantly working with this group of people. So today I want to talk about being a servant, one who serves others. And I would hope if I asked today, don't do this, but if I were to ask you, who wants to be a greater servant? I would hope, in general, every hand would go up. Mine would. I want to serve others more. I believe one of the clearest demonstrations of the gospel in our own lives is how we serve each other and how we serve those outside the church. It's a demonstration of the Son of God coming to serve us in our greatest need. And so today we're going to look at three kinds of servants. What I'm calling the sideline servant, the do-anything servant, and then the last one somebody smarter than me came up with, but the servant leader. So let's start with the sideline servant. And of the three types of servants that we're going to look at, this is the one that we need to caution against and be careful of. Okay? This is the one we're going to look at, if if I may, in a negative light. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3 of Titus. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on in the church at this moment and why Paul issues this command. But we can tell from the context that there is a need. There is the potential for ongoing needs. He is sending these people to the church and saying, hey, you need to resource them. Give them food, clothing, shelter, and help them on their way. Give them food, clothing, and shelter that they can take with them. Help them along their way. Now, I'm sure the Christians were saying, wait a minute, Paul. We've got our own needs to take care of. Got a lot going on right now. Money's kind of tight. And he says, look, you need to live in such a way that you are ready to serve others. And who's he talking to and speaking about? He says, our people. He's talking to Titus, who is, I think it's fair to say, a pastor in this church that he's writing to. Paul's writing as a pastor. He was a pastor of pastors in many ways, as he planted churches, put people in leadership positions, and taught them and trained them and helped them along the way. So when he talks about our people... He's not talking about some cult following. He's saying Christians, people that have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he tells Titus, warn them, encourage them, instruct them to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Now, we could take this and talk about not being lazy right? That we need to be productive in our lives. Nobody should sit around just doing nothing. We should be productive and engaged. And that's good. And we can go many places in Scripture to talk about the importance of of taking what we do seriously. We, We looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2 in Sunday school this morning. Live your life as worship. Look at everything as an opportunity for worship. But I don't think that's what he's speaking of here. When he says devoting themselves to doing what is good and providing for urgent needs and not living unproductive lives, I believe he's specifically talking here in the context of these people that are passing through the town. And he's saying to them, serve them for the purpose of their ministry. 
You need to help these people along their way in their ministry. He says, don't sit on the sidelines and let these guys just pass through and say, I'll pray for you. I'll wish you well. I'll wave goodbye. He says, get engaged in what they're doing. No, you're not the ones going, but help them along the way. Don't just wave at them as they go by. Don't be a sideline servant. See, a sideline servant is someone who sits on the side. We're entering into football season, right? Any football fans out there? It's American football for the Schusters. Uh, soccer, I think, has the same thing, right? And, and in American football, there's, there's a really specific uh, uh, position um, that's probably the least important position on the field. It's that position, it, although it's the most commonly full, uh, the position of the armchair quarterback, right? Everybody thinks they're the armchair quarterback. Everybody thinks they get to sit on their, cl- their couch or their armchair and yell at the people on the screen about all the things they're doing wrong, and if they did it our way, everything would be right. Maybe I'm the only one who does that. I don't know. My wife does it too. I can bear testimony. Okay. <laughs> My wife's more of a football fan than I am. Just saying. That's right. But a sideline servant sits on the side and casts ideas and direction and says, oh, if you would just do this, it would work so well. But they don't actually get involved and do it. You're not going to ask me to go out on that football field. I will give you advice till I'm blue in the face, but don't you dare ask me to put on that helmet and those pads. No, no, I lead by telling others what to do. It's a sideline servant. Jesus struggled with sideline servants in his ministry. As I was thinking about this, the concept of the Pharisees came to mind. Here were religious leaders who had changed. They had warped in their understanding of their religious leadership. They had changed from we are here to serve the people to the people are here to serve us. They've changed from we're here to help the people be righteous to the people are here to help us look righteous. And they used people and they manipulated people and they were judgmental in everything that they did, but they wouldn't actually get involved to help people. That's a sideline servant. It's also a hypocrite. There were others that said they wanted to follow Jesus, but their priorities in their life got in the way. There's the story of the rich young ruler who said, I'll I'll follow you, I'll do anything, just tell me what I need to do. He said, great, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that. See, his priorities got in the way. He wanted to be involved, but just up to that sideline, he couldn't get out on the field. Another one was the man who said he wanted to go bury his father first. Jesus comes to him, he says, follow me. And the guy says, great, I want to, absolutely. First, let me go bury my father. Now, people have debated this for years. And there's really two sides to this. Either his father had just passed away and there was a whole to-do about getting the funeral together. And some people say, well, that's kind of harsh. I mean, shouldn't he be allowed to do that? I think a better interpretation was a guy who was living at home in his father's household and said, I can't do this until my father passes away. I can't be released into this. I still have to serve my family. And Jesus is saying, man, the Son of God is calling you. You need to go. And his priorities were messed up. Now I want to talk about two proper reasons to sit on the sideline. And, and I want to be careful because they're temporary. But, but I came up with two. There might be more. 
There are times it's okay to sit on the sideline of ministry. One is when you have been hurt and you need to heal. There is an appropriate place. And we've experienced this as a church often. People have come from other churches that leadership decisions, the church culture, somebody in the church, whatever it is, they've hurt them greatly. And we, as elders, we sit and we hear their testimony and what brought them to Orchard, and we hear a lot of stories of pain. It's a shame. It's a shame that churches beat up Christians so often. It's a shame that, that leaders can't be led themselves sometimes. And so there is a time to come in and heal. But if I could, you can't stay there. There is a point at which your time in the hospital is hurting you more than helping you, and it's time to get up and get moving. There's a point at which the sitting in bed and just waiting for healing to happen needs to transition into the physical therapy, which is the hard work of movement. I can't answer that question for you guys. I can't tell you if you're here and you've been hurt in another church or, or something's going on in your own life. I just want to encourage you, it's okay to heal for a while. And we'd love to help you with that. But if you've been in that point of healing for six months, eight months, a year, two years, guess what? It's time to get off the sideline. Because there is an aspect of healing that will only happen when you get back in the game and watch what God can do in and through you. One reason to sit on the sideline is for healing, but it needs to be temporary. Another reason to sit on the sideline is when you are struggling and losing that struggle in sin and you need to repent. It is right to take stock of your life and to say there is an area in my life that I am in disagreement with the Lord God Almighty. He says this and I'm doing this and I know it's wrong. There's a point even to pull yourself out of ministry, come to the leadership of the church or a good friend and say, hey, I'm struggling with a sin. I don't think I should be serving right now. But there again, I would say that should be a temporary thing. Repent. Reconcile. Go through accountability. But know that God is bigger even than your sin. God uses broken people all the time. If God didn't use former or even sometimes current sinners for the cause of His church, none of us would be here. So don't think that your sin is greater than what God can overcome. Seek the process of repentance and accountability. But don't get stuck there. I've told you two times that it's right and proper to sit on the sideline. Let me give you a couple when it is not right to sit on the sideline. And the first one might surprise you. Don't sit on the sideline of ministry because you are too busy with other things. This is the number one thing that I hear as a leader in this church and every other church I've ever been to, and I think every ministry leader ever hears when they try to get people involved. I'm too busy. I spoke with somebody after the first service and I, asked, I gave a little testimony of them without mentioning their name, but I'll, I'll mention his name because I spoke with him. Dan Keenan will tell you, and I encourage you to ask him. I don't think he's here. I think he had to leave. Dan Keenan has gone through a time. He just retired. Friday was his last day at work. He's been through years of being put through the ringer at his job. Just years of awful thing after awful thing. He's been through health crises in his family. He's been through personal crises at home. The death of his mother, the death of his father. It's all been going on so much so recently. 
If anybody had an excuse to say, I'm too busy, Dan Keenan would be one of those guys. And yet, whenever I've asked Dan, hey, Dan, would you teach Sunday school? His response, number one, is, I'm too busy. There's too much going on. I don't know if I can fit it in. And then right away, he says, but if you need me, I will try and I will do it. And inevitably, after Dan teaches a class of Sunday school, not just one class, but like a a series, he comes back and he says, this is the only good thing going on in my life right now because my job stinks and I'm going through tragedy after tragedy and I'm so glad I had this service to encourage me and motivate me to keep going. It's been wonderful. Don't sit on the sidelines because you're too busy. If I may, Christians especially American Christians, you might be too busy because you're sitting on the sidelines. We have a tendency right now in our culture to fill our lives to the max. Start with filling it with the most important things or you'll never get to them at all. Don't sit on the sidelines because you are too busy. Number two, don't sit on the sidelines because you don't know how to get involved. This is something I believe as a leader, and I think the elders would agree, God's challenging us in. We need to help all of you to get involved. We're not doing as good of a job at it as we could, and we're working on that. And part of that is this meeting next week, to talk about that. But since you're here, and I'm challenging you, you get to hear this. Don't sit on the sidelines because you don't know how to get involved. Ask. And and even if you can't get to a leader and say, hey, I want to lead in some way, find a need in the church and meet it. And here's how you can do that. Go up to somebody and say, I'm so-and-so. What's your name? That's stage one. Stage two, man, how can I be praying for you? Boom. You're going to find a need. And maybe your meeting of that need is very simply praying for that person. Maybe it's next time you see them, how are you doing? Maybe it's inviting them over for a meal or going out for a meal after church. Just encourage them. And see what God does with it. Build a relationship with somebody outside the church to share the gospel. Or somebody inside the church to encourage them along the way. Another reason not to sit on the sideline. Don't sit on the sideline because you think you aren't good enough. I hear so many people say, God can't use me. You don't know what I've been through in my life. Or I'm not smart. I didn't go to seminary. I've never been trained. They say, I can't get involved. Man, the Bible is filled with unqualified people being used by God for the display of His glory. God's really good at it. Don't sit on the sideline because you think you're not good enough. Now, I want to say, I wanted to bring this up because I think it's an important issue. But by and large, I don't think as a church we have a problem with sideline servants. I don't think most of the people here or in first service are what I would consider sideline servants, people that just sit around and complain and cast dispersions. That's Fortunately, I've been in churches like that. This isn't one, praise God. If anything, I think as a church we're filled with this kind of servant, which is awesome. The do-anything servant. The do-anything servant is the servant who will do anything for anybody. Let me, let's try this. How many of you have been blessed by a do-anything servant in this church. Some way, shape, or form in the past year, somebody helped you out in some way. A lot of hands going on. You know, it's almost a joke among leaders when we talk about, um, you know, uh, an event, say the picnics or something. Well, what about setup? What about cleanup? And, and the answer is always, you know what? We won't have to worry about cleanup because people will just chip in. 
and they will just help out. And every single time, that's exactly what happens. People stay longer while their kids are playing, and we're talking, and we're just sitting around, and we're chatting, and inevitably we say, hey, let's start grabbing these tables. Let's grab the chairs. Let's clean them up. Let's put them away. We have so many do-anything servants. Look back at Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, and listen to this list. He says, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best. He's speaking to Titus again. Titus, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Every, do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. That's just a list right there of Paul's do-anything servants. The people that he surrounded himself with that are willing to do anything to anybody. There are references in Scripture where Paul says, Hey, can you bring my scrolls and my cloak? Yes, I know it's several hundred miles, but could you do that for me? And they did. And when he said to these people, stay in this city, they did. When he said, go to this city, they did. They served, sometimes at great personal expense. There's others we could add to this list. Titus, Timothy. In fact, we could look at Romans 16 as we did in Sunday school. There's a really long list of do-anything servants. People that served in big ways and small ways. So many of the people who worked with Paul were do-anything servants. They delivered letters. They traveled with him. They, they helped churches when Paul left. They went ahead and prepared places for him to go to. Think about what that servant meant, or what that service meant for Paul. I truly believe we would not have the Paul that we have in the New Testament if it wasn't for these people that gathered around him. He would not have been able to plant those churches or travel those miles. He needed the help every step along the way. But more than that, and see, here's where we don't make this transition. Think about what it meant for those servants. Think about what they saw. The people they saw come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord. Here's Timothy that seemed like he was just a young kid when Paul found him. Titus as well. And eventually they're pastoring a church. Why? Because they joined with Paul. They partnered with him. And he poured into them. Paul knew that being a servant flowed from the gospel and that the greatest act of service was to help others to grow in that gospel. Do anything servants are willing to do anything for anyone. They'll take the smallest, most insignificant task and do it as an act of worship and service to other people. And I just want to say thank you to the number of servants in this church. Some of them aren't even in this room because right now they're serving. They're serving by watching our kids in the nursery. They're serving by preparing things for the service or getting ready to clean up after the service. Some of them were serving at 7 o'clock this morning when they came in to get the coffee ready or come to start praise team practice. They're here and they're serving. There are many do-anything servants that are going on behind the scenes that you're not even aware of. And I'm so blessed to be a part of a church that has a number of do-anything servants. And I think sometimes we... We look at this concept of service and say, well, it means doing anything for anybody and we stop there. And let me just say, it's good. It's really good to do anything for anybody. Okay, That's a great act of service. But there is another aspect of service we need to look at. And that is servant leadership. Our culture, both in and outside the church, loves this term servant leadership. It's become sort of a buzzword, I think, over the past 10 years or so. And, and that's okay, because I think it's a great phrase. Servant leadership. 
We've talked a lot about it as a church. When we moved to elders, we talked about leaders who serve and servants who lead. And we've said, we want elders who are servant leaders, not lording it over us and just saying jump and we all say how high, but serving the church. And praise God, I think that's exactly what we have in our church leadership. So we think of leaders who lead by serving, but I want to add to that. Not just leaders who lead by serving, but leaders who serve by leading, listen, by leading other servants. That's a different mindset. Who say, I will serve people by leading them so that they can serve. Look back at verses 12 to 14 and think about how Paul is serving these people. He serves Artemis and Tychicus by sending them into ministry. Because by them going off in ministry, they're going to be stretched in their faith and see God at work. He serves Zenos and Apollos by making sure their needs are met. He knows they're traveling through this city and they're going on to minister. And he says, I'm going to make sure you've got what you need. And so he sends this letter. We look at these people serving Paul, but think about how much Paul served them. Now you might think for a second, wait a minute, you know, Jesus sat down with his disciples and he poured into them, but I don't see Paul doing that. When did Paul pour into Timothy? When did he pour into Titus and serve them in that way? Well, guess what? Guess what the book of Titus is? Guess what the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy are? It's Paul pouring into these guys. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's very clear behind the scenes he was doing this constantly. Leaders, servant leaders, get people involved not just for their own sake and not even just for the sake of the ministry, but for the sake of the people that are getting involved because it's good for them in their Christian growth. We've worked hard here at Orchard to develop this level of leadership. In my ministry, I've tried hard to develop ministry teams and and work to get others involved. We move to shepherd leaders, to elders, to share that level of leadership. And the elders are constantly talking about how can we get people involved. We brought Al in to coordinate more ministry and get other teams involved. We're working hard to do this. But if I could be so bold, I believe right now as a church, our greatest need would be people who serve by leading other people. When we were a church of 60 people, wasn't that big a deal. I could handle it. We could handle it through the church office. The various boards could handle it. But a church of 200 with all the various ministry teams and things going on, we can't properly serve the leaders that we need to serve. We can't properly serve the volunteers. We need some of our do-anything servants who are willing to do anything for anybody to say, I will serve these people by coordinating this team of volunteers. See, that's the point at which my discussion with people usually stops. Hey, what do you need in ministry? I'll I'll help out. I'll do anything. I think, oh, that's great. This is so wonderful. I need somebody to coordinate this. Oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. But I'll do anything. I'm not good with people. I can't lead people. And I get it. Not everybody can. But we have some wonderful volunteers that, if I may right now, are not getting the attention they need. Because there's not enough attention to go around. There are areas of ministry that we are doing our best and Kathy is working hard out of the church office, out of the church secretary, as a church secretary, to coordinate areas of ministry and she shouldn't be doing it. 
That's not what we hired her to do. But somebody has to set the schedule and follow through with it. Pastor Al and I, I think, are stretched to our max with the the teams that we can coordinate and give leadership to. We need servants who will take on teams of volunteers to serve those volunteers by helping them to do the ministry that they have been called to do. This is a very difficult level of servanthood because people are busy and they let you down. Because people are messy and they're hard to work with. It's just a general truth. And because we don't like administration, we don't like coordinating other people to do what we think we could do ourselves. But that's the issue right there. We need to stop and say it's good for those people to do those things that yes, maybe I could do myself. The reward of growing others and seeing ministry multiply is great. It's a story about four people. Named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. You heard this story before? There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. It's pretty funny. It's also very true. If you're here today and you love this church, and I hope you do, you want to see God glorified in this church, and I hope you do, you want to see ministry continue in this church in big or small ways, I hope you do. I want you to prayerfully consider this week. Is God calling you to step up? Get off the sideline and get involved? Is He calling you to take your service mentality that you've been so faithful in and maybe tweak it and say, I will serve by coordinating other people to serve. I will serve them in that way. Pray this week. And next week when we talk about this at the congregational meeting, listen. And see what God might be calling you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one who did the greatest act of service in history. When we were lost in our sins, you sent your Son to die on the cross for us. And he took our sin and our judgment upon himself. And then He rose to new life and promises eternal life to all who believe. And everything that we do as a church is about that right there. Not about orchard or numbers or history, but about that issue right there. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is about people. It's about people getting saved. It's about people growing in their faith. It's about people living out ministry in their day-to-day lives. And yes, together as a church. And so I pray, Father, may we serve one another through acts of kindness and helping people in any way, shape, or form. But there are those in the midst here that you have gifted in some ways and they could help out even more by coordinating teams of volunteers. So I pray that you would lead in the way that only you can, not my wisdom, but yours. And use this week to teach us and stretch us to cause us to prayerfully consider how we could be servant leaders and better serve each other in and outside this church. 
In your name we pray. Amen.